So again, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, if you want to get your Bibles so that we can turn there. Um, but I, I just also want to say that I'm glad that all of us are are here and um, you've decided to join. Um, I want to let you know that when you join, it's you're not just joining a Bible study or a preaching um, I understand that this, by many standards, is it would be considered, you know, not the common thing, not the common way of greeting, uh, of of assembling together. Typically, we think of assembling together as in person. But even Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, "Though I'm not with you in body, I'm with you in spirit." Right. So that there's a unity, even if there's an, even if we're absent. And that that's not an excuse not to meet, but it is to say this, that I believe that God has been using the internet in a powerful way. And for those that are caught up in the old glory days and the old tent meetings and tent revivals, as good as they were in that, that day, God is doing something very significant. And if you don't have eyes to see, you won't be able to catch up to what God is doing because you're so stuck back in the Exodus days when God did something completely different. You don't think that there were people in the Old Testament when Jesus came on the scene and said, you know, this temple that's going to be is going to be destroyed. There won't be a single brick laid upon another. You don't think that even though some those some that had professed faith in Christ you don't think that there was at least a bunch that said, well, geez, man, I remember going into this old temple. I remember, uh, like the psalmist said, leading the procession uh, with thanksgiving to God and recalling the wonderful times, bringing the sheep and, and God moving in the sanctuary and then hearing, you know, or even meeting at their local synagogues and hearing the Torah expounded. You don't think that there may have been some, you know, nostalgic Re, you know, reflection, the, the, um, uh, um, a heartfelt remembrance of what God did before. But see, God is doing something new. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And God wants to do something new through us. Not only in former times, He's wanting to do something new through us and by using us. But if we're so caught up in yesterday... We won't focus on today and we won't secure our our tomorrow by what the purposes and the plans that God wants to fulfill through you. You know, um, I, I kind of say this because I, I really love 90s gospel. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a 90s baby, so I, I love 90s gospel. You know, Malachi can attest to that as well. You know, he's, he's one of them in the old bunch, the, the, the dying breed who still loves 90s music, right? But, <laughs> but... At the same time, I have to appreciate with what God is doing today through some of these very talented artists. Right? The Bible says, "Sing a new song unto the Lord." Don't forget. You don't have to necessarily forget the old ones, but God is wanting to see. That's what the devil wants to do, whether for good or for bad. He wants to anchor you in your yesterday to keep you enchained, so that you won't move forward. And, 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 and the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes. I don't even know why I'm talking about this. But there has to be for a reason. He says in Ecclesiastes 
that the, the man of God uh, that uh, is wise, he says, he doesn't say, why were the old days better than these? He says, it's, from, it's not from wisdom that you ask such questions. The Holy Spirit is wanting today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of new beginnings. Right? <coughs> but, um... Let us let us pray. I want to I want to ask that you join with me. Amen. So say not why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Um, Ecclesiastes could be a depressing book if you read it on the wrong day. <laughs> but <laughs> all right, let's 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 join in prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord. <clears throat> And I just ask God right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would join our meetings. I pray, God, that by your power, Lord, you would give me the words to say. Father, I pray, God, that the words that come from my mouth would not be what I say, but what thus saith the Lord. I pray, God, that you would give me prophetic insight, God, Lord, this isn't a dead book. It is a living book spoken by a living God. So, Father, we expect to meet with the living Lord, the risen Lord today. Your word tells us that we have access to the Father by one spirit. And we're in one body, in one mind, in one accord. And I pray that that self-same spirit that Holy Spirit would join with us and give us revelation of your word, God. I pray for those that are lacking in clarity that you would grant them the ability to see, Lord. I pray, God, that you would grant them direction. I pray that you would grant them, oh Lord, um, the enlightenment, Father, whereby they're able to distinguish both from good and evil, Lord. Unlock our ears. Give us ears to hear, Give us eyes to see. I pray for those that are needing encouragement, God, that you would encourage them, Lord. For those that are needing consolation, that you would console their hearts, Lord. I pray for those that are dealing with um, unrepentant sin, that you would convict them of sin, Lord. I pray that they will not be able to dodge your word. But Lord, I ask that you would give me not only the words to say, but also with your heart, Lord, that you would give me your temperament, that you, Lord, would allow me to approach this text with your frame of mind and your frame of heart, God. Holy Spirit, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, liberate us, God. May you give us freedom, Father, freedom from the things that the devil wants to use to enshackle us, to enchain us, Lord God. Holy Spirit, I pray, move by your grace, move by your power, lift us up out of the miry clay, lift us up, Lord God, out of the miry bog, Lord God, lift us up, Lord, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, from everything, Lord, that the devil would want to use to keep us locked in today and locked into yesterday, God. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that the anointing would come upon all of us. That the fire of the Holy Ghost would come upon all of us, God. I pray no more depression, 
No more sorrow. I pray that you will lift us up with joy. Lift us up with hope. And lift us up with your faith, Lord God. In Jesus' name, and I come against every satanic attack against our minds, against our bodies, against our souls. In Jesus' name, Lord God. And I just declare liberty. I declare freedom, Lord. And I speak it over us, God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Open up our eyes. And I pray, Lord, that we would fulfill our destinies and our plans and our purposes, Father. I pray for an impartation of life today. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. May your presence rest in this place, Lord, from beginning to end, Lord. Like Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, O Lord. We don't want to go. May your presence go before us, Lord. May your presence abide, Lord. You're our only hope, Lord. You are our rescuer. You are our salvation. You are everything, Lord God. We need you, Father, and we cleave a hold of you, Father. Hallelujah. Like the song says, Jesus, come to my rescue. Where else can I go? There's no other name by which I can be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that our hearts would be laid bare. I pray, God, that during the course of this meeting, that every single soul would feel as if, Lord God, um, I I was following them around this entire week. But, Lord, we know that it's the Holy Spirit that speaks. So speak to our situation and speak to our lives and speak, Lord, into our destinies, God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Father. Hallelujah. How many of you know there's power... In the word, and there's power through prayer. Recording in progress. There is significant power in prayer. There's endless possibilities in prayer. Now to him who's able to do exceeding, abundantly above all that we may ask or think, according to his power that is at work in us. According to his power that works in us. Able to do exceeding, abundantly above. All that we may ask or think. So, you know, every time you submit your request to the Lord, know that the Lord's able and willing to do above that. He's, he's willing and able to do far above that. He's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above. That's, that's not just cute, poetic, fancy, biblical language that Paul's just using so he can get on the best sellers in his local Christian bookstore. It's true. And if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you understand that sometimes God exceeds your expectations. In fact, in fact, uh, more often than not, God will exceed your expectations. And it's kind of, he's kind of like that father that loves to surprise his children at home. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of pranks going around on on YouTube for, you know, for views and stuff like that. Sometimes you get, 
you know, parents messing with their kids because, you know, the kids were bad that season and for Christmas or whatever, you know, they're like, oh, we got you this big present. They wrap it up and then it's like nothing but garbage inside. And they're so disappointed. They're so disheartened. They're playing with their emotions. They're playing with the kid's psychology. But the Lord doesn't do that. You are led and I am led by our own thoughts to think that God will only give us this much when when he answers, it's far more greater than what we had expected. But see, if you don't wait on the Lord, see, the Lord tells you, son, daughter, I'm going to give you an Isaac. And you need to wait on me. But what happens is a lot of times we don't believe God and we don't have faith in what he, the promise that he gives us that he wants to bring about in our lives. And so as a consequence, what do we do? We get ahead of him. And then instead of uh, uh, having faith in the promise of God by using Sarah, you sleep with a Hagar and you, you produce an Ishmael. Right? And I, I don't know how many of you know, and I, forgive me if you, if you have any uh, Afghani blood in you, but... Uh, the, the, those are uh, I forgot what is said of the 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 Afghani's you know in in the in the book of uh, the Ishmaelites I believe the Lord prophesies to them you know and and says you will all be like mules and we look at the Middle East and we see very you know and there's no disrespect but they're always at war it's constant bloodshed it's always they're given the jihad this holy war they they say. And so they're a constant thorn in the Jewish people's side. Why? So, so that's the thing. Is, is When you don't wait on God, God will still bypass your foolishness and bring about the promise of God in your life, but it won't be without thorns. So we, we better just wait on the Lord, right? See, I'm telling you, know... You know, especially, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to say this, and I say, I'm saying this hopefully without offense, and we'll get to the text. I just <coughs> feel, le- I feel led to just keep uh, here for a moment. Sisters, you, you need to wait on the Lord for the right man. You know, I remember hearing a preaching one time, and I've said this before, and I just think it's funny, so forgive me for my, my foolishness. But this preacher said, you know, he's six foot and fine, but the brother ain't got no spine. There's a lot of times if, if you don't know how to put your eyes into subjection and, and, and you know, he, he might, you know, he might be fine looking. And I'm not trying to, you know, put in your your heads anything, you know, um, forbidden. Like even if you're just, you know, you're not even thinking about it sinfully, you can still get ensnared. You might even begin to reason, oh, well, he carries a Bible. Oh, look it. He even has my favorite translation. He uses the KJV. Doesn't it sound so holy? <laughs> oh, but he ain't no, he ain't holy at all. He, he's a whitewashed tomb. You better stay far away. Because if you follow through... Those looks won't mean nothing when the bills aren't paid. The bill, the, the, his looks won't mean nothing if he's given to infidelity, if he's unfaithful. And the same, you know, for the reversal for the men, 
You know, she, she may look very beautiful. She may look very fine. But it doesn't matter because her face and her body or whatever you know is, is in your mind that leads you to engage is not going to be sufficient when she's a constant hindrance to your walk with the Lord. Always a hindrance, always a thorn. Just the Jezebel. Right? And you, you know what, let, let me just say this last thing and I'll move forward. And you brothers, you, you need to be careful not to accuse a woman of a Jezebel just because she rejects you. Sometimes you get your feelings hurt because you shot too high. <laughs> oh, she's a Jezebel. No, you shot too high. You need to stay within your lane. You're in a totally different ball ballpark. You're trying to hit major leagues. You got to go little leagues. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> You know, okay, this is this is the last thing I will say. <clears throat> I don't even know why I'm speaking on relational advice right now, but I remember listening to one thing, that, and this is just, this. I, I promise, this is the last thing I'll say. Um, you sisters, you single sisters, you need to be careful, especially you single, intelligent sisters. You know, what I've learned, I remember listening to Jordan Peterson one time, and he was talking about how there's a lot of men and, and I'm saying this within the category of good men. We're talking about godly men, okay? Where I'm not talking about any any um, fleshly or carnal men. There's a lot of good men you will that that will not be attracted to you. And here's the reason why: is your intelligence, because a man is intimidated by your intelligence. If he sees that you're well together, you're articulate, you're intelligent, and, and you're very put together, there are some men that are so insecure they won't reach out to you. So you might think he ain't interested when he is in fact interested. But but your presence leaves an intimidate. I remember listening to uh, Jordan Peterson who's talking about this, and I think this is very important because sometimes the people in the body of Christ, you think that this person might not be interested when they are, but they're just intimidated. And so, I, I think the way that we present ourselves is really um, important. <clears throat> and we have to be careful what we read between the lines because sometimes it's not what it is in truth. And sometimes you guys need to over, stop over-spiritualizing over things and saying, you know, well, you know, I'm just going to fast 40 days about this. And, you know, sometimes it's as simple as asking a brother or sister on a date. It's like, put the phone down. You know, I don't know what you got to say. I don't know if you got to use one of those cheesy pickup Christian lines. You know, I was reading the book of Numbers. And I noticed that your number wasn't in there. So, uh, yo, can I get your number? What's good? <laughs> hey, you just be practical about it, right? Just because you got Christianized and saved and sanctified don't mean that you got to lose your swag. <laughs> just keep it modest. Keep it godly. Amen. Okay, I'm done with my my relational rant. <clears throat> so then Jesus, uh, Matthew chapter four, verse one. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, You know what? Excuse me. Let me, let me forgive me. Let me back up just a, a bit. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 13, to just kind of give you a little more context to this. <coughs> I hope to just kind of give you more insights than I'm interested in preaching to you, per se. Um, verse 13, chapter 3 of, of the book of Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill <clears throat> all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, so let us just stop there. I want to just bring out a couple of observations. And, and the first observation is this. Jesus, though the Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, He's coming to John the Baptist to be baptized by Him. Right? You know, John the Baptist was a pretty spiritual Baptist. <laughs> he was one of the few Baptists that believed in the gifts. <laughs> He's one of the few Baptists that still believed in the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> um, by the way, a lot of Baptists don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and so it's kind of a, a joke, you know, kind of a nerdy Bible joke there. <clears throat> but, you know, it's interesting because John the Baptist's reverence of the Lord, you would think, would have prevented him from baptizing the Lord. You know, John had such a great reverence for Jesus. And isn't this what we do? Sometimes we project on God, like, oh, Lord, you can't do that. Or, oh, no, Lord, you, 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 this can't happen. You can't ask me to do that. You know, it's really interesting. The one who fashioned him in the womb is educating him on what he can and cannot do. You know, so I think we have to be very careful about what we tell God. You know, I remember Leonard Ravenhill said this. So don't you think it's interesting when we pray, we're basically telling the creator of the universe how to run the world. And that's precisely why we need to pray by the Spirit, because we know not how to pray as we ought. So therefore, we need the mind of God when we pray, because if we don't, then with the natural mind, we're trying to tell God how to run this world. But God, God would not have it that way. <clears throat> but nonetheless, John the Baptist get you know uh, consents and says, "Okay, uh, I stand in need of correction. Um, I, I, I will baptize you, even though I consider myself unworthy of such a task." Jesus says, "It's to fulfill all righteousness." And here's what here's the thing: a lot of times, some of us Christians are so spiritual, we will only include God within the equation, but we won't include men. Though Jesus, Jesus could have easily um, leaned on heaven's approval of him, as we will see shortly, when the voice from heaven, the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I will please, he could have easily relied on that testimony. 
but he waited for the testimony of man to point him out. See, the heavens open up that the earth will not give fruit to those to whom the heavens do not open up. Heaven will open up its favor upon those on the earth. And the way that God demonstrates his favor on you is many times evidenced by man's favor of you too. Jesus grew in both favor between God and man. And sometimes we are so... I remember when I was younger in the Lord, I remember um, when I got saved in the assembly, I was, I was 17 or 18 years old, and so I didn't know a lot of proper church etiquette, a lot of proper church unspoken rules. And I, I forgot... I. I and now looking back, I say, man, I was I was a fool, but I shook the bishop's hand in a way that struck that that um, made him surprised, that that made him think like, what are you doing? Why are you shaking my hand this way? And he was an older man, and I, I look back and I see how disrespectful that was. But at the time, I said this to the brothers. They they say, well, you know, uh, look at how he get, you know. They say, why'd you shake his hand like that? And it wasn't a formal handshake. And um, I said, what? You know, he's just a man. But I did not know that even though I had an honorable view of God, there was still a, a, a dishonorable interaction I had with a man. I, I heard it said that you cannot be right with God and be poor and, tr uh, and trashy with men. <clears throat> Right, A lot of us want to easily say, I submit to God, but won't submit to a leader. Right, We're not so spiritual if our submission to God looks on earth like our lack of submission to our elders, lack of submission to our leaders, a lack of submission to our husbands, if you're a wife, a lack of submission to those in authority. I remember I was praying in the Spirit, when I was I was traveling just a couple of days ago, and I was saying, Lord, create in me a greater self-discipline. I said, Lord, create in me a greater self-discipline. He said, Son, you can start by not speeding, go beyond the speed limit. I was like, Wow, okay, Lord. And I I I went I began going the speed limit, and that took me as a surprise because you know I'm thinking all these other things in my mind. Last thing I'm thinking is I got to obey the speed limit, right? But John the Baptist, had, and so this later worked in Jesus' favor. Remember when the Pharisees were beginning to question Jesus about his, his uh, authority? He says, who do, he says uh, they asked him, where did you get your authority? The Pharisees, in, in trying to test Jesus. He says this, let me ask you a question, and I'll answer your question if you answer mine. John the Baptist. Was, was his authority from God or from man? And then they went and they and then they began to have their little council together. And what do we say? What do we say? If we say that it was from man, we will lose the people's favor and they're going to stone us because they consider John the Baptist a prophet. But if we say it is from God, he will ask us, why didn't we accept his testimony? Because John the Baptist pointed him out and said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, I know. Let us say, I don't know. And he says, well, neither do I know. 
Neither will I answer your question. Man, don't you love Jesus' wisdom? A greater wisdom Solomon was there in, in the days of, of, uh, of the first century. And that same wisdom is available to us. James says in first chapter in the fifth verse, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But you always have these religious gadflies who always want to pester God's real people. Right? You know you know how you, you handle that? You get so on fire in the Holy Ghost and flies will leave you because they, sta- they can't stand it. You know, Beelzebul, the Lord of flies, he will depart if your fire is, is, is where it needs to be. Keep fanning to flame. Keep sacrificing. Keep that fire perpetual. And sooner or later, those religious pesty gadflies will not no longer be able to handle you. And if they attempt to, they'll disintegrate as they, as they approach you. It's like Nebuchadnezzar. He says, turn the furnace seven times hotter. But, um, <clears throat> so, as we continue on, the voice of heaven, the voice of the Father, approves of Jesus. It says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Imagine that. <clears throat> you know, how many of our men today, if that were to happen to them, or they claim it to happen to them, they're going to try to sell their new, you know, their book. You know, I went to heaven. You know, I did this, and I did that. And it's all questionable. You know, you know, Jesus, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there, but (coughs) Uh, the point that I want to make is this, that the voice from heaven gave approval to Jesus. And this is relevant as we will see here shortly. Why? Because when Jesus is in the wilderness, the devil begins to question him and says, if you are the son of God, well, you just heard from heaven, and there's many witnesses. There's a prophet there, John the Baptist, to witness. There's several witnesses to attest to the fact that the voice from heaven said to Jesus, You are my beloved son. Not only are you my son, in you I am not only pleased, but well pleased. And yet, here comes the devil coming to question the very thing, the very testimony that the Father gave to the Son. It is no different today than it was in the days of Genesis when the devil began to ask. He says, did God really say? That's where it begins. It doesn't even begin with the devil's immediate contradiction. He won't always go directly to the truth and say that's a lie. He will begin with a seed of doubt because if he knows that if he can grant a seed of doubt, he can enter in with a lot of speculation and questioning and and going back and forth and it will unsettle you in your faith. And if it unsettles you, you won't be able to act in faith and come to a decisive choice about a particular matter. Um, hopefully I can I get to that question uh, later. Um, maybe if you could remind me. <coughs> um, 
But look at what's going on here. The Spirit of God led Jesus. Jesus didn't lead himself. So what this is tell us is that the Spirit of God will often lead us into wilderness situations. You think that it's always the devil. Now, while the devil may very be, be present in your wilderness experiences, and what I mean by wilderness experiences, there's no human resources, it is lonely, it is hot during the day and cold during the night, it is, it is probably intimidating, you're surrounded by beasts, you're away from civilization, you don't get to just go to your uh, uh, wonderful Starbucks and get your uh, large latte, and, and chill with your little MacBook and look up your scriptures, right? You don't get to do that. You don't, you don't get to get served in the wilderness. It's a lonely place. It's a difficult place. It is a trying place. And we all have our different wildernesses. That may not mean <coughs> necessarily that God is going to call you into a, a physical wilderness... But there are wildernesses of the soul. There are, uh, as, as the old uh, medieval saints would say, the winter night of the soul. Where you don't feel God, you don't sense Him present. And what's even more surprising is not very long ago, just a chapter before, the voice from heaven affirmed you. You had crowds thronging to you. You had a Baptist... Uh, uh, a prophet, a, a Baptist prophet, affirm you. And, and now, you're in a wilderness, away from the crowds, away from the heat of the atmosphere, away from meetings like this, away where you don't sense God present, and now the most vital thing you have to do is not even revert to your experiences. But when the devil begins to tempt him, he doesn't say, um, I am the Son of God. Didn't you just hear a chapter before? And, you know, when I got baptized by John, I know you were there, you sneaky devil. Didn't you see that? No, he says, it is written. This is precisely what Peter says. He says, we heard a voice from heaven, and we had gone up to the mountain, Second Peter. But he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he says, you would do well to look into these things. What is he talking about? He's referring to the Holy Scriptures. Now, I believe in experiences. I believe in prophecies. I believe in, in, um, in, in the Spirit of God uh, sharing with us these wonderful things. And they're wonderful. They're helpful. They're needed. They're beneficial. Uh, but nonetheless, our final authority is the Holy Scriptures and what the Lord has declared in his word. <clears throat> and what does the devil do? He wants to ascend like the most high. He wants to take the place of God. He wants to be bowed down and worshipped. And so what he's going to do is he's going to call into question the authority of the holy word of God. And he's going to question you and say, did God really say? Did God really say? But the Holy Spirit leads them to this. But do not be mistaken that the, the that God does not tempt. The devil does. The Lord tests. <clears throat> if, if you would like, if you want to hold your thumb there on Matthew, if you want to real quickly turn to James chapter 4, 
verse 7. Or you know what? You don't have to turn there. Maybe my wife could just uh, post it there. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> no, excuse me. I'm I'm sorry. It's James chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. <clears throat> then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings, to, brings forth death. Okay, so what you see there is God... So in Matthew chapter 4, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, but it's the devil who does the tempting. The God, the God does the testing, but the devil does the tempting. See, what temptation is, is to try to incite you, to lure you, to commit that which is evil. God tests, he allows for external situations to uh, occur in your life for this sole purpose. Not because he wants to see what you will do, he wants you to see what you will do. God already knows what you will do, but God sets you up so God, so you can see your own heart. Because until God puts you in situations, you will think you are more holy than you are, you will think you are more patient than you are, you will think you are more righteous than you are, until you are placed in situations that begins to test your faith. And when you see that there are kinks in your armor, then you say, ah, I need to go back to the workshop and begin to work on myself because I didn't know that was in my heart until now. It's a testing. Now, don't be discouraged because I want to assure you that though you have failed, that doesn't mean you don't got faith. What did Jesus say to Peter? He says, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail thee not. When he told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He says, but when you return, strengthen your brothers. So he prophesied over him an implicit prophecy. That is to say, you will return. This is going to happen. Your faith will not fail. But what was his actions? He denied the Lord three times. Is that not characteristic? Is that Should that not go on your spiritual resume as failure, as lack of faith, no courage? No, because what happened shortly thereafter is that he began to weep. And the Bible tells us he wept bitterly. He knew he did wrong. He was able to see. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. That the lofty one is Israel, who inhabits eternity, also dwells with those who are of a contrite heart. And he had enough faith to get back up and to be restored. His faith did not lead him to a fatality. His faith did not allow him to be led to death so that while he stumbled, he did not fall. 
The Bible says in Psalm 55, if I'm not mistaken, that the Lord delights in the righteous man's way, and though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. Do you see that? Though you have fallen, you will not utterly be cast down. But he will rise, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I just want to say this prophetically over you, that the Lord says you will rise if you have fallen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. But Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. And I just want to say this. Be careful to say, what would Jesus do? Because Jesus would tempt forty would be would fast for forty days and forty nights. That's not always the best question to ask, and let me tell you why. Because if God has called you to marriage, your question will be, "What would Jesus do?" And well, Jesus didn't marry, right? There are some dissimilarities. Jesus died for the sins of the world to atone for their sin. Our death cannot atone for the sins of the world. Right? And so I'm just saying that to say this. Don't feel condemned if you haven't fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. There's only three people in the Bible who did that. Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. No one else in Scripture has been, has been known to have fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And the significant thing about them, it was only Moses and Elijah who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was transfigured. And it was only Elijah who served as the head of the prophets, Moses was the head of the law, and Jesus was the head of grace. And so when God picks a man and selects him to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, it should be for a specific purpose, and it's probably because of a revolutionary purpose that will alter humanity in a very significant way. But he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and it says the tempter came and he said to him, if you are the son of God. You know, it's interesting. Who is the devil to question? The devil is even in the business of of knowing that he's not. It's like this. Imagine. um, Imagine a security guard trying to stop you and give you a ticket. It's like, who are you? What are you even doing? You're operating outside of your jurisdiction. Who are you to even question me? Right? So here's the devil trying to question whether or not Jesus is the Son of God. What business does the devil have to question Jesus of of his sonship? Yeah, I agree, Daniel. I think there's a lot of people who do that. Um or or imagine imagine you're you're a judge. And um imagine you're a judge and a criminal standing before you and you're trying the criminal and the criminal says, If you're really the judge, allow me to go free. It's like, hold on, wait a minute. First of all, who are you to question me? 
And secondly, who says me allowing you to go free is proof of my, my judicial authority? No, not so, not so fast there. Because the devil begins to question him and say, <clears throat> If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. You know what he was targeting? He was targeting the lust of the flesh. There's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the devil tempted him in all three aspects. And this first aspect concerning bread, there's nothing evil about bread. <clears throat> but when you're on assignment, even good things can become hindrances. And even those things which are necessary for life are, are forbidden for a momentary time in order to fulfill a specific purpose that is related to your destiny. I remember when I was a young Christian, I was 18 years old. Well, I, I, I was, I remember going out with a lot of Christians and hanging out. I remember I was working, making a lot of money, and I was, you know, you know, taking my friends out to Denny's, you know, driving them around. I felt like, you know, it was all good. I remember just like happy. It used to make drugs, you know, uh, money illegal ways by selling drugs and all that stuff. And so I'm like, man, praise God, I just got a legal job. I was really happy and I was thankful. But what was interesting to me, because my mind couldn't make sense around this, the Holy Spirit began to tell me and say, son, stop spending time with them. I want you to go to your house and pray. And if I can confess, there was a lot of times I said no because it was too lonely of a wilderness. And my mind couldn't catch up to what the Holy Spirit was telling my heart. It didn't make sense. I said, they're brothers and sisters. The Bible says to fellowship with the saints. The Bible says to be encouraged. Exhort one another daily. And so much as you see the day approaching. It says, warn one another, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So many scriptures could come to the mind, to the natural mind. But the Holy Spirit knows which verse he wants to select for you. For you to apply in your life. In that moment and in that season. So that's why no matter how intellectual you are, no matter how theological, no how much theology you know, Bible you know, it is the Spirit of God that will give you revelation into that Word to apply it into your life and He will speak to your heart. And it's the heart that walks by faith, not by head knowledge. It's not that head knowledge is bad, but God sometimes bypasses the head knowledge to speak to your heart and the mind will be tempted to get offended with what God says for you to do. It doesn't make sense. This isn't sin, Lord. This isn't evil. This is good. But you know what I've learned in 10 years of walking with the Lord? God will ask you to do some very crazy and bizarre things. He'll say, go into this water and dip yourself seven times. You'll be cured of your leprosy. Naaman said, you know, isn't there better waters than these, you know, bitter waters? See, this is what the Lord would do. The Lord will say, you're going to be a millionaire. Or, or, And I'm not preaching prosperity. But I believe God has said and will continue to say to many people, you will be a millionaire and you will bless my church. You will bless missions. But let's suppose that God called you to be a millionaire. But you know what? He told you to work at McDonald's. And you begin to reason within your head and you say, God, this doesn't make sense. But you don't know that 
a, a year down the line that a corporate manager would recognize you and your great leadership skills. And he says, hey, I have some connections with these other businesses. I see your integrity. Will you work as a, as a partner in a high position of authority? And this will be your salary. That is the life by faith. The mind can't calculate it. The mind is unable. The mind is finite. It cannot make all the calculations, all the variables. But the Holy Spirit will speak beyond all of it. And God will tell you. See, God will speak to you in such a manner. I remember hearing this from, um, thank you Jarvis for referring him to me, Apostle Joshua Selman. He says, God will speak to you not like he speaks to you. He will speak to you as if he's speaking to himself. He will tell you to do the impossible he will tell you to uh, multiply the loaves of five fish and seven you know seven fish and five loaves and all this stuff and say here feed all these people he will tell you to do that which is impossible so you can rely on him to see you through god is the god who brings us before mountains Brings us before things that are greater than ourselves. So he can show off his magnificence. He can show off his power and his might and his glory. Hallelujah. Some of you say, you know what? I can't do this. I can't preach God's word. I can't get up. You know, the Lord had called me to the ministry at 17 years old, I remember at an altar call, the Lord said, you'll preach my word. But I, was, I wasn't articulate. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to stand before people. My hands would shake. I didn't know how to speak well. I had a, 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 a fifth grade math level and English level at the age of 17 years old. I barely knew how to read the easiest Bible. The easiest translation, the NLT, was the, it, 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 I, I wasn't able to express my thoughts and I didn't even have clear thoughts. And I look back in some of my old Facebook posts and the way I would write, I didn't even know how to use grammar properly. And so by every human standard, I could have been disqualified from that which God has called me. But I didn't know that 10 years down the line or even uh, not much further down the line, God would begin to educate me in the school of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I know it's a cliche, but as as it is often said, the Lord doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen. I was kicked out of every single school. Every single school in my city. And that's one, two, three, four. Five. I even went to school when I was locked up. I, I, I was I was illiterate and proficient in my own language. And yet, all these years later, the Lord has called me to teach not only His Word, but the English language. I understand grammar. I even taught myself a little bit of Greek, the biblical languages. It's not of my doing. 
It's not to boast. It's God. It's all of the Lord. Paul says, it's not I. He says, I labored more than them all. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God that is within me. But as we continue down, he says, the devil begins to say, command these loaves to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by McDonald's alone. <laughs> you know, I, I love, I love, uh, I love me some good carne asada tacos. But man shall not live by carne asada tacos alone. <laughs> I don't know, man. That sounds good. Put some sauce on it. You know, some of you guys like, um, you know, pollo, right? Uh, lengua. <laughs> or some of you like some old good southern food. Right? But ain't no commanding these stones to become that in the wilderness. <laughs> uh, or or make it some some uh command these stones to become goulash. <laughs> oh, praise God. Um, but he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. <clears throat> Notice, the Word of God says every word. You know you can live on some words of God and still reap destruction in your life because you're not living on every word. It's called cherry picking. You have to know, you have to allow the full counsel of God to advise your life you know why because if you don't you will look like those guys at the gym that only build the upper body but they got a triangle body because their legs look like chicken legs you know brandon and kezron know what i'm talking about i'm glad to hear that these are holistic brothers right here they work out the whole body <laughs> um but yeah you'll look like chicken legs and I'm telling you know I don't know about you, but if you look like chicken legs and you got a big upper body, it's like bro, just lose the upper body. I'd give you more props if you just look consistent. Even if that meant with like a pot belly and you know no arms, no muscles, at least you're not gonna get made fun of. <laughs> just saying. So a little bit of Bible. It leaves you, it leaves you in balance. It's like, just stop. Don't, don't fill yourself up with just these selective verses. Get the whole counsel of God in or just leave it all together. Right? <clears throat> but you must live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God's word transcends the psychologist, the psychiatrist. You know, it's sad to me today in American Christianity, we trust more on the psychologist than we do the prophet. So true. And, and I'm, I'm not knocking people's professions. 
You know, I, I praise some of you, I commend some of you, if you want to be psychologists, just understand that you have to be careful in those fields because they're going to want to try to snuck you in their little worldview and then, you know, you can't correct people or, or they, they hate, um, they hate uh, the Christian's approach and they're going to come after you. Right? But we, But why do we seek light? Among those that are not of the living, the prophet Isaiah says. But you know what? Whether you're, you know, for example, myself, I want to teach in a secular school. Doesn't mean I'll be teaching secular ideologies, but I want to teach the English language. But you know why? Because it's a mission field. And I refuse to allow Caesar to hire people and indoctrinate these kids i don't care i serve the christ the the lord of lords and the king of kings and it is he that dictates my life and the message i proclaim when i was working at the high school i remember you know i remember there's on a number of occasions god will give me these prophetic words for these people there's this one girl the lord showed me i seen her and her little baby in a red car and the car crashed and i said hey i know this sounds crazy but just recently, you got in a car accident, huh? She's all, <gasps> just last week, me and my baby got in a car accident, and I'm traumatized. So how'd you know that? I said, you know, and I hear the Spirit of God saying that, that you, you, she was in a foster home. And it was something to the effect that you haven't been cared for. And, and the Lord has been seeing you cry at night. And the Lord says he's hearing your prayers. And she was just like, whoa, she's been praying at night. She was had a horrible life. She had to fend for herself. She was without love. You know, and I remember a number of occasions God would give me these words to speak to these to these uh, uh, children. And, and one, you know, was on the verge of suicide. God showed me that or God showed me this. And um, I remember on two occasions uh, they're, they were crying and, and like the, the way the, the high school that I was working at wasn't like a traditional class where it was like 30 people. It was a much, much larger room with several teachers. And, and one of these students just began weeping. And, and she was crying like this, you know, with her face like, you know, just bawling. And I remember like, oh, dang, I'm looking around like what in the world are the rest of the teachers going to think? I'm like, no. Like, cry, but don't cry. Like, hide it somehow. <laughs> you know, they're going to ask, like, well, why are you crying? Well, you know, the, the, the sins of my heart have been laid bare. What are they going to tell them? You know? But anyways, I just have wonderful memories. I, I love what God did there. And there was even uh, one that had come out saved, um, which is amazing. Um. <clears throat> But my point, though, is this is mission fields. And some of you are mission fields. Got to bring light where there is darkness. Whether you're a telemarketer or you're working in a school, you're working um, as a psychologist or whatever the case. God wants to use you. Don't leave them there groping in darkness. Tell them how they can be born again. Go and tell somebody. Tell them that Jesus loves them. 
and he died for every one of their sins. Go tell somebody. As soon he's coming back again. But now that you've come out of the darkness, you should turn on the light for a friend. Don't leave them there groping in darkness, but tell them how they can be born again. That doesn't mean you're going to be the next Billy Graham, but you know what it means is, you know what, go go 15 minutes early to jo- your job and begin to pray over your entire work. Begin to pray for the people by name and say, Lord, call them. Lord, I, I might not have the courage to speak out directly to them, but Lord, would you just uh, move on their hearts to have them notice my faith and ask me about my faith. Lord, I pray for their salvation. I pray, Lord, that the devil will be dispersed from this place, and I pray that righteousness would come. You can be a watchman on your place, on your work environment. And God will use it to His glory. Amen. You're valuable to the body of Christ. Even if you're a finger, if you're a hand, if you're an arm, whatever it is. Whether you're an ear. Whether you're a mouth. Maybe some of us like being a mouth because we like talking a little bit more. (laughs) Or maybe you want to be a mouth but you're not and God said shh. Keep it all that to yourself. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, camate. (laughs) Oh, man. Praise the Lord. We're almost done. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil is citing Psalm 91 here. You know, the interesting thing is this. The devil is quoting word for word the Bible. If you go back and check in Psalm 91 to see if the devil misquotes the Bible, he doesn't. A lot of us think that the devil is out there misquoting the Bible. He's not misquoting it. He's not misquoting it one bit. See, good liars don't use another book. They will use the handbook you use, but they will play gymnastics with it, and they will play origami with it, and say, ooh, I'll fold it this way, fold it this way, take it out of context, and then I'll present it to you, and it will look so palatable, it will look just right. I'll lure you in. He taken a text out of context. What does this mean? It means that we have to read our Bibles and we must read them well. We must not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. That means we must become students of the Word, rightly handling the Word of Truth. And I see this sadly to so many. There's a lot of self-promoting Christians that are sincere, but they don't know better. And they immediately get on the internet, They immediately, but they haven't yet come to the owner's manual and looked and read and prayed and sought and, and wrestled with the text. And I speak this even for myself. I believe that I began speaking behind the pulpit years ago too soon. I've corrected my view many times. I've revised my view many times. 
I've misunderstood the word of God many times. And I understand we all stumble in many ways, but we must give the utmost attention to reading the word of God. What's the best version of the Bible? It's a, a packed question. Very um, too long of an answer to give. <clears throat> I'll, I'll message in the chat. Um, <clears throat> the simple answer is, there, all the almost all the versions are good, and it just depends your preference. Um, but the devil, he's not misquoting the Bible; he's just misusing the Bible, and that's what good liars do. They don't tell full lies, neither do they tell the full truth. They tell half truths, right? Because you, because. How successful would the devil have been to you or I if the devil says, hey, you know, Malachi, or hey, you know, uh, Daniel, or hey, you know, Andrea, uh, you know, go ahead and, you know, command these bread, you know, stones to turn into bread, for the Quran says, or for the Book of Mormon says, he knows he's lost ground with you. So he will use your own book in Quoting it word for word. How do you think there's so many false teachers that successfully lead cults? From among yourselves will rise ravenous wolves, not sparing the flock. You know, some of the most dangerous people aren't those that are clothed as shepherds, but those that are clothed as sheep. And they're Absaloms who want to kick Davids off the throne because they're hungry for prowess, prestige, and power. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Verse 7, um, and we're coming to a close. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Amen. In Psalm chapter 2, I believe in the, in the verse, in verse 8, the word of the Lord says, He shall inherit the nations. Let me let me just fact check this. Let me be a good Berean and quote it word for word. Uh, Psalm chapter two verse eight says, "Ask of me," referring to God. He's he's telling the Son to ask of the Father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter vessels. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in the king. In verse 6 it says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. <clears throat> so the Lord sets Christ on his holy hill. And he tells him, ask of me. So this is the prayer of Jesus that he prayed in the days of his flesh to allow him to inherit the nations. The Father bestowed on him the nations. But let me tell you this, it did not come without a cross. 
His crown did not come without a cross. And this is what the Bible tells us. Yet if we endure temptation, we shall receive the crown of life. If we endure. If we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. But He reigns today because He suffered yesterday. And you know what He suffered? Is to not receive from the devil prematurely what the Father was going to give Him. The devil was trying to give Him a crossless inheritance. And the devil wants to give you, wants to give I, crossless inheritances. God has spoken a word over you and said, you know, you're, you're going to have a, a son or you're going to have a daughter or you're going to have a wife or you're going to have a husband. But you know what? You're going to have to endure not to succumb to fornication. That is your cross to bear. You are being tested and the devil is going to say, hey, you know, uh, just do this if you are God's child. I mean, after all, I, I think God's kind of stingy up there. He's kind of withholding from you. But hey, if you're God's child and if God does in fact answer prayer, just kind of help yourself to this carnal buffet. Just have at it. Whatever you want. No, because it comes with the bitter pains of sorrow. But let me assure you this, that those who endure the cross, they shall inherit an eternal weight of glory that far, and not only in the life to come. Some of us are so heavily minded, we're no earthly good, and some are so earthly good, they're, no, they're, they're so hev earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. We need to have our hearts in heaven, but our mind focused here on earth to work and labor for the Lord. If the Lord wanted to call you out, he would have. Some of you wanting to defy Jesus' prayer that he prayed in John 17 for the Father to keep you in this world and to not take you out. Some of us sound more spiritual than we really are. Oh, I just want to be with Jesus. No, get the work. Do something. You're romanticizing the Bible. And I get it. You know, we want to be with the Lord, but there's work for us to do. Jesus wants to inherit these nations. He wants to rule in the midst of his enemies. I want to see Christ dash every satanic regime with his iron rod and dash it to pieces. I want to see him dash communism to pieces. I want to see him dash the Taliban to pieces. I want to see him dash uh, Islam to pieces. I serve a militant God, a militant king who loves his children but will allow us to advance this holy war. I don't know who you serve. I serve gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but I also serve the Lord who is the uh, host of heaven's armies. Man. Who's not given to diplomacy. He has a holy imperialism and colonialism. He wants to colonize this world with his word. And either we bow in mercy, this world bows in mercy, or we'll bow in wrath. 
But I want us to be assured that we're on the winning side. We're, he hasn't appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. So we proclaim salvation. But either way, either you repent as, and become a righteous king, or the Lord will remove. The Lord will put in the heart of uh, the mind of Nebuchadnezzar a, be, a mind of a beast. He has to get people out of his way to fulfill his purposes, because he don't want to see innocent people oppressed. Amen. Mark my words, the Lord is coming for every politician that has shed innocent blood. But the devil wanted to give to Jesus prematurely what was already his. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I believe in the Gospel of St. Luke, it says, Then the devil waited for an opportune time. And I believe in the Mark account, it said, Then Jesus had gone out into his ministry in the power of the Spirit. See, there's a lot of ministers today that want to go in the power of the Spirit, but they haven't endured the wilderness. John the Baptist hid in the wilderness for many years. Obviously, like I said, I've qualified it by saying it doesn't mean we literally go out in a physical wilderness. But there is something about getting in the solitary confinement of just you and God and waiting and abiding in his presence until the day of your showing forth. A lot of us wants to show forth and all we experience is a barren wilderness. But the Lord is saying, experience a barren wilderness and I'll give you your day of showing forth. Because it's in that wilderness you learn to only be focused single-mindedly on the glory of God. And you know when he does appoint you before men, he knows that he can trust you to not bring glory to yourself. But the devil waited for an opportune time. But the devil left him. You know, some of you are over uh, giving the devil too much credit. Everything is the devil. You 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 forgot to buy milk, and you know you couldn't you know satisfy you know fill up your whole bowl of cereals. Like, oh, it's the devil. Dang devil! I I remember I remember one time there was this older lady. And, uh, you know, she was a bit overweight. And I remember visiting this church and she was testifying. And I guess she didn't fold her laundry the night before. And then, you know, the following day she almost tripped on her laundry that she, I guess, just left on the floor because she was too tired. And she said, not today, devil. And she almost fell. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, sis, I didn't didn't say it, of course, but I said, sis, it's called folding the laundry. (laughs) It's not the devil. I think he has a whole lot better tactics than, you know, I think he does. And uh, sometimes there are tactics that we're oblivious to. But the Bible says in James chapter 4 verse 7, it says, Resist the devil and he will flee. 
But you know what he's attracted to? You want to attract the devil? Just go ahead and fast and pray. People think prayer dispels the devil. And in some cases that's true. When you cast devils out and he's only come out by prayer and fasting. But in many regards, fasting and prayer will attract the devil. Because he sees on his spiritual radar, their spiritual activity that's going on. But you know what resists him is faith and obedience. Faith and obedience is what causes him to flee. What did Jesus say? The prince of this world cometh, but he has nothing in me. Give no place for the devil. You know that word in the Greek implies territory. He wants to seize territory in your mind. In your life. In your business. In your relationships. And that's what will attract him is disobedience. And disobedience is what gives him a place. Say, nah man, you got to bounce. You ain't staying here. Right? You got to go. You got to go somewhere else. But be encouraged that the Lord will strengthen us in the day of temptation. The hour of temptation. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Remember reading uh, Christian Complete Armor by William Gurnall and he talked about how the faltering you know, soldier that is discouraged that he has to muster up courage. He says, go to the, the infinite, he says, go to the infinite cupboard of the Lord and draw resources from him. We don't have to be strong in ourselves. But I hope the Lord has given you something to chew on. And, um, <clears throat> the point is this, endure temptation because the test of genuineness of your faith will produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Hope is only birthed out of difficult times. A lot of times people think that hope is only birthed out of good times. I'm feeling hopeful today. It's pretty, you know, wonderful day and so therefore you know, hope is birthed. It's not the case. Hope is birthed in difficult times, trying times where your character is tested. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, it says, let patience have its perfect work, right? It says, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It doesn't say faith produces perseverance. Because until your faith is tested, there is nothing to persevere. If I have faith but nothing, no test, what must I persevere? So the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let us, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time, God, and I pray that you give each and every one of your children, Lord, strength to overcome temptation, to overcome, Father, the wiles of the devil, his tactics, his lies, his conniving ways. I pray that you lift them up, Lord, right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Strengthen each and every one of them, Lord. May your glory and may your anointing rest upon them, Father. 
Lift them up out of discouragement. Lift them up out of the miry clay. Father, give them joy of heart. Give them joy of the Holy Ghost. May they be assured of your securing power that just as you began a good work in them, Lord, that you will finish it. Now to him who is able to keep you stumbling and present you faultless before his eternal coming, uh, may he present you faultless in his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless, Lord, at your coming. So, Father, would you produce in us, Lord, perseverance and character and hope, God, and give us eyes to see the 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 fingerprints of the devil and know when he's 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 near for he's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour but lord may the god of all grace you're the god of all grace may you strengthen us and settle us and perfect us hallelujah in christ's name we pray amen and amen hallelujah